but I want to share today, and I want to reach into Genesis and share a very familiar story, but perhaps bring out a truth or two to make us think as we conclude this, the month of Thanksgiving and move in to Christmas. Genesis 41, verse number 50, and, I, and I'm going to tell you this, I told the first crowd, my sermons are not long, they just seem that way, so, so I'm not going to, I won't keep you long. Genesis 41, verse 50, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Very intentional. It wasn't haphazard. Joseph had a certain mindset and it's a mindset I still see in people's lives today. Let me just start and say this. My expectations often determine what I receive in life. My expectations often determine what I receive in life. Craig Rochelle, someone you're familiar with, says this. People are either buzzards or hummingbirds. Buzzards fly around looking for dead stuff. Hummingbirds fly around looking for sweet stuff. Isn't it amazing they both find what they're looking for? The question is, are you a buzzard or a hummingbird? My expectations determine what I receive in life. Now, in the Old Testament, when parents named their children, they did so with great intentionality. Oftentimes, the naming of a child in the Old Testament had something to do with the sentiment or the thoughts of the father. Nowadays, we do uh, name books, and you go buy a name book, and, and people come up with names now of their kids. You know, what, what's wrong with Fred? <laughs> Nowadays, names have to have meaning, and, 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 and th th we've got a kid whose name, I don't even know how to, it, it basically means a babbling brook, near a spring on a Tuesday by the freeway. It's just, it's just like, I asked my mother from here in Ingleside, where did my name come from? Scott, who's, who's, who do we know? What was the, what's the history? She said, oh, well, there's none. There was just a kid on the street named Scott and he was nice. <laughs> Thanks, mom. No legacy, just thank you, thank you. Scott Jones. But in the Old Testament, it meant something. Here's, here's an example. Um, Israel, who was originally named Jacob, based off of an experience at the time of his birth, when he was born as a twin and came out of his mother's womb holding on to his brother's heel, so they named him heel grabber or supplanter. That's what Jacob means. Later, he wrestles with God, gets a new identity, and becomes Israel. He liked that name better, prevailing prince with God and man. Well, he's at a moment where his wife, who he loves, is giving birth to a son, and sadly, the tragedy of childbirth, she dies. But right before she dies, 
she names the son. It's in Genesis 35, 18. It says, and, as, and so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called him, the baby, Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Benoni means son of my sorrow. Now she's in pain, she's dying. But Israel looks at his wife's body, he's holding this little boy, and he can just imagine what it would be like to grow up with the name, I'm the cause of sorrow. I'm the one who killed mom. I am the cause of sorrow. And, and Israel knows what it's like to be labeled like that. So he says, no, no, no. I will name you Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Thank God for the second name. Here's a point I want to just make to you now. Never name what you're going through while you're going through it. Because we'll go through things in life and say, I'm going through hell. I'm going through the darkest season of my life. I, I am, uh, literally, I am going through misery. You may say it now, but don't name it while you're going through it. On the other side, you're liable to say, you know what? That was the best thing that ever happened to me. That was a blessing. That was a, it was a blessing of reduction, but God made me in that season. Now I call it the season of making. Then I thought it was the season of breaking. So here we have one of Israel's other sons, Joseph, and he's becoming a father, and he has two boys. The first son he named Manasseh. It simply means forgetting. The second son he named Ephraim, which means fruitful. It wasn't random. It wasn't uh, careless. He didn't get it out of a baby name book. This was the sentiment of the father at the time the boys were born. And Joseph had a particular logic. Joseph's logic was, before I can experience fruitfulness, I have to be delivered from hardship and trials. Before you can have joy... You must have nothing in your life that causes sorrow. Before you can have fulfillment, you must have no enemies. Before you can be strong in the Lord, you must have no resistance. It's not a bad logic. It's, it's just not God's logic. And so he set a precedent by the naming of his sons that said, before I can enjoy productivity, I've got to have smooth sailing in my life. I have to forget what I've gone through before I can ever kick in and be productive. Now, time goes by. The boys grow a little bit. Through a miraculous series of events, there's a reunion with Joseph and his daddy Israel. But even greater than that reunion is granddad Israel is getting to see grandsons that he did not even know he had. He thought his boy was dead. Not only is he not dead, but there's another generation. So there's a grand reunion between granddad and grandsons. And of course, we know the power of a patriarch, the power of blessing. It meant so much. And so there's this reunion happening where we know Israel is going to lay his hands on his grandsons and bless them. I, I want to read it to you in Genesis 48. It's several verses, but we'll kind of do it in a story form here. It says, Israel said to Joseph, 
Joseph, I had not thought to see your face. Remember, he thought he was dead. But in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. Now notice this part. Here's what we know about Joseph. He's organized. He is an organized guy. He, he, he structures. He likes structure. He works well with structure. So everything he does is on purpose. And notice this, verse 13. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near. Just picture in your mind an elderly man standing here waiting to bless, and Joseph is bringing his boys, and he knows the right hand is the hand of authority, and it's the dominant hand for most people who aren't blessed like myself and Spencer and are left-handed. And so the right-hand blessing is the, is the dominant blessing. So Joseph has his boys set up so that granddad can put his left hand on one and the right hand on the firstborn. Can you see it? By the way, you don't have to say amen. Just, just kind of look amen. So, so he's got them set and he walks up to dad ready to go. Verse 14 says, Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. This isn't even a natural move. This, this isn't even... Now, it's interesting, the Bible doesn't miss a trick. It's amazing that when you come to a cross, suddenly the second birth has greater emphasis. So he crosses like this to bless the boys. And Joseph, the organized guy, sees it, and notice what happens. It says, when he did this, verse 17, Joseph saw that his father laid the right hand on the head of Ephraim. It displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head. Get it back to Manasseh. Dad, I had it. Just do this. And Joseph said, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. And said, I know, my son, I know, he also shall become a people, and also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he crossed his hands, and scripture says, he blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel will bless, saying, may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And notice this last line. So he set, everybody say set. He set Ephraim before Manasseh. Granddad switched the birth order. He used his authority as the patriarch and said, you had it like this, I'm making it like this. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Joseph set the order, but Israel changed the order. Joseph put Manasseh first, but Israel put Ephraim before Manasseh. God wants you to experience Ephraim before you experience 
Manasseh. Here's God's logic. I will make you fruitful in your times of hardship and trial. Then you will experience deliverance from the hardship and the trials. The Manasseh expectation says... The Manasseh expectation says, if I ever get out of this mess, I'm going to give God glory and I'm going to worship him and tell everybody what God's done for me. Manasseh says, if, if, if God will prosper me and if I can ever afford it, I'm going to tithe. Manasseh says, if I could just find a spouse, then I'll be fulfilled and happy as a person. If I am paid well, I will work hard. If my prayer is answered, I will give God praise for the victory. The Ephraim expectation says, in order to get my life out of this mess, I'm going to worship God and give him everything I've got. I'm going to plug in. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve in my church. I'm going to tithe faithfully, trusting that God will be faithful over little and let it grow to much. I'm going to live a fulfilled life alone. I'm complete in him. And maybe I'll meet someone else and two people can live life together. I'm going to work hard and then I will earn better pay. I will glorify God for the victory even before the prayer is answered. Joseph set the sequence and he had it wrong. Imagine what his life would have been like if this had not happened and he was always waiting on a reason to be thankful. Instead, Joseph is a guy that we know was fruitful in times of affliction. And then later, God helped him to change his perspective. You go to Genesis 37. I'm not going to read it, but we know at 17, he had a dream and a passion and saw things. And then he goes to his brothers, and they literally sell him out. They, they beat him. They sell him to a band of, of traffickers. That He was literally trafficked. And, and they took him, and he becomes a slave. But while he is a slave... His slave master, his owner says, God's hand is on you. In fact, it says in Genesis 39, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands. His giftings surfaced while he was enslaved. Now, I know you're not me, and this is probably just for me and the 830 crowd, but... If you've enslaved me and sold me out, don't expect me to be productive. Because I've been done wrong. And until what I've been done wrong by has been made right, I'm just gonna take my toys and go home. Because I got hurt. Joseph served, he used his gifts while in bondage. Then, just whenever he finds favor with his master, he's now falsely accused of a sexual crime that he did not commit. Now he is in prison and he does not belong there. And then verse 21 of chapter 39 says, but the Lord was with him and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Where is he? prison. But the warden said, you know, inmate number 62254 is blessed, but he's still an inmate. 
I pray that you get this today. You've got to quit waiting for everything to come together and be perfect before you're ready to live a life that is productive and fruitful and gives God glory. In fact, if you're waiting for everything to be perfect, for you to be productive and live a life that gives God glory, you will always be waiting. But if you can just embrace where you are now and say, I believe God can make me fruitful as I am now, you can do something for God even where you are. Say this word with me, character. Man, that's a good word. That's a good word. Because it's in prison that his character is refined. Joseph has two main gifts. He can interpret dreams and he can manage household. He is a great administrator and he has a prophetic gift to interpret dreams. Now notice he had those gifts before he was ever sold out by his brothers. He had those gifts while he was in prison and while he was a slave and he had those gifts after he came out of those trials and those hardships. That's got to register with us today. The gift and the anointing and the call of God on your life is not relegated to only work in the zippity-doo-dah seasons of life. They always work. We just don't always use them because I've been hurt. The way you can give thanks in all things is you know the gift and the call of God is irrevocable. And even though I'm not where I want to be, I'll be fruitful where I am. You see, the character of a seed is within a seed. If I plant an apple seed on a trash heap, we're not going to grow a tree that reproduces trash. The character is within the seed. So you may not be where you want to be, but the character is what's inside of you. That determines what kind of fruit you produce, not your environment. So Joseph's two gifts, managing households and interpreting dreams, he flourished with those gifts even while he was in a jail cell or as a slave. In fact, he interprets the dreams of two of Pharaoh's servants, the baker and the butler. And and this will show you Joseph's attitude. Genesis 40, 14, he says to them, remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh. Catch this. Get me out of this house. You don't like it in jail? No. Get me out. Notice his next sentence. Verse 15. I was stolen away. This is describing somebody here in this service. I had a plan. I had a dream. Somebody stole it. People did things to me. I didn't ask for that. It was stolen. My dream was stolen. You feel like Joseph. Get me out of here. You do not see a guy here saying, you know, I like the bars. I feel safe. You see a guy saying, get me out. My life has been stolen. But while I've been here, I've been fruitful. While I've been here, I've been productive. While I've been here, I've ministered to others. Here's another word. Say promotion. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Don't tell me you have faith. We'll know you have faith when it's been tested. And here's what you've got to understand about God. God loves you enough that he will test you. He tests you to promote you. 
Now, Satan tempts you to fail you, but God tests you to promote you. You have to remind yourself sometimes this is a test, which means God wants to promote and be fruitful. Now, fast forward seven years because this guy used his gifts. He used them in the most unlikely of circumstances. Now, he is second command over all of Egypt because he used his gifts, because he was finally remembered two years after the fact. And now, he's prime minister under Pharaoh. And those brothers who sold him out are before him. It's actually fulfilling the dream he had as a teen. They're all bowing before him, asking for help. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Gee, I don't know. I guess when you've been enslaved and in prison for a while, you don't look the same. Most of God's dreamers have scars and bruises. They don't look like they used to look, but they're fruitful. And he looks at them. He's torn because he has the ability and the power. He could take their lives or put them in the pit he had been in. And the humanity of Joseph can be overlooked. He struggles. He, he literally excuses himself, says, I'll be back. And he gets behind the wall where no one's around. But the servants could hear him just crying. And I know why he was crying because... We often rehearse what I will say and what I would do if I ever saw them again. Oh, okay, you wouldn't. You guys back there. You, you, we think about, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll say. I know me. I know, I, I'm not that far in the Bible yet, so I, I still have a part of me to work on. I think I'd go Toby Keith on them about this time and step out and say, how do you like me now? That's the only Toby Keith song I know. <laughs> he, he, he's in a moment. But he weeps because he knows I've been fruitful. God's blessed me. I've built character. Look where I'm at. And so in Genesis 45, 4, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they come near. Then he said, I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Oh, wouldn't that have been a moment? Their faces. Verse 5, but now, not before, not when I was in the pit, not when I was a slave, not when I was framed for a crime I didn't commit, not while I was in prison. But now, I just had a revelation. Sometimes you'll, you'll live life long enough, you'll come to your point of understanding. And he has hit his point of understanding, and he tells them, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. Why? God sent me before you to preserve life. He tells them, don't worry about it. I'm not going to kill you because now I know. Don't be afraid. 
I've been fruitful. Don't be afraid. I've worked it out. Everywhere I've been that I did not want to be, everywhere I was because others did it to me, I was fruitful. Now I'm able to say, forget about it. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not careful, we could become undone over the undone. Because everything in your life's not right. Just about the time I think I'm in a good spot and everything's good and, and, and the, the, the family is good and my wife is good and my kids are good and the cat's hitting the litter box and things are working right, somebody does something. Or I do something. If I wait for it all to be perfect, to be thankful, I'll always be waiting. If I wait for everything to line up to be fruitful, I will never be fruitful. Let me end with this example. It's in the very beginning of the book. God gives us the formula. Six times in Genesis, God does something and then stops and celebrates. It's in Genesis 1. I mean, this is how it starts. Verse 2 says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And God saw the light, that it was good. Literally, that was a day. Now, when the light came on, all it showed is that the earth is without form and it's void. It just showed how bad things were. But God says, yeah, but yesterday it was total darkness. It's not the way I want it, but it's better than it was. So for a day, it's good. He keeps doing that. Plant life. Now, we still don't have animals, we don't have fish, we don't have people. But God says, no, 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 but we didn't have that. Yesterday, we just had a lot. For a day, it's, it's good. And he keeps doing that until he gets to the end of the story. And the end of the story is verse 31. Then God saw everything, say everything, everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. Listen. Completion of the promise hinges on your ability to be thankful in the small things. Some of you, the marriage is on the rocks, but you're here. That's good. Some of you, your kids, they're absolute idiots. But they texted on Thanksgiving Day. It's good. If we don't learn to be thankful for the small increments, we will never see a completion of the whole thing. If I don't learn to be fruitful where I am, I'll never be able to look back and say, forget about it. God has been good and I have been fruitful. He set Ephraim before Manasseh. Be fruitful where you are now. Serve now. Get, engage 
now. Witness now. Then you'll get to a point where you'll say, it's very good. I wonder about those that are here or you're at one of the other churches and you're listening. Here's the phenomenal thing is it's, it's after Black Friday and you're in church. <laughs> now, I don't know why you were, what you were doing on Black Friday that meant I better go to church today, but, <laughs> but the beauty is that means you believe in Jesus. That's great. You know it takes more than believing? It's not hard. You have to believe, but you have to confess with your mouth. I, I don't really know why Pastor Bill could probably explain it. I think it's because I need to hear. Faith comes by hearing. I need to hear me say, everything in my world's not right, but God is in control. And I'm also saying, if I could save me, I would. I can't. I need Jesus. I would like to give somebody an opportunity today to tilt the scales in your favor by turning your life off. Your mess and all, give it all to Jesus. You don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. I want to ask you if you would to close your eyes here and at every church. Just to allow that privacy. And I want to ask everyone at every, at every site to pray with me. You may be a long-time believer, but as you pray, you strengthen those around you and you lower resistance. And besides that, it's good that we all recommit. So would you pray this with me? Jesus, I believe you are God's son and that you came to earth and lived a perfect life and died a criminal's death so that I could live with you in eternity. Thank you for that price that you paid. Forgive me. Save me. And from this moment forward, be my Lord and my Savior. From today forward, you and I will be fruitful together. In Jesus' name, amen.